open to the book of James. We are well on our way in the series of Faith Works. For clarity's sake, once again, we, we don't work for our salvation. We don't work to be right with God by faith. It's only the grace that we trust in Jesus alone. His work, His righteousness, His goodness, His atonement. He covered, covered our sin, past, present, future, covered by the blood of Jesus. And now, if you are a Christian, work it out. Live the life that Jesus laid down His life for you to live. And so I want to ask a question as you have your Bible as you're getting that open to James chapter 1. I want to ask a question that James is going to be addressing to us today. Is what's important important to you? Is what's important important to you? You know that a message is really, really important when in the title it has important twice, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, that's important. Let them know. This is a really important day to, to be learning about God's Word. This message for us today is really important, so important, we got double importance right in the title, kicking off. And what do we mean by is what is important, important to you? Do you believe that there are ultimate values that everyone that is created should be making important in their life? Regardless of uh, what generation you were born into, what what, what state, what country uh, that you're raised in, regardless of if you're an introvert or an extrovert, regardless of your personality, regardless of if your experiences, there are things that are so important, but sometimes we have to ask, are the most important things in life important to me? Because can you believe this? Can you believe this? Here, ask this. Is it possible that someone can even know what's maximum, what is ultimate of importance and not actually value that in their everyday life. Do you believe it's possible? Do you believe intellectually we can know? I know what the most valuable thing is. I know what's most important in all of life and forget it all week long. And do you know why I know that you know that? Because I forget that every single week. I forget what is most important. What's most important a lot of times is not what's most important to me. And that's a problem. And that's a problem. And James so desperately wants us to understand and struggle and wrestle with what should I be valuing? What should I be living for? What should my everyday life be pursuing? And by faith, he's going to lay out what we should be living for. And here's why this is such a comfort. This is a universal struggle. It's a universal problem that all of us forget what is of ultimate importance. All of us fail to live out practically what's most important on a daily basis. So I don't know what, what Tuesday morning looks like. I don't know what Friday night looks like in your life. But what would it look like if you actually held dear what is most important and it actually was important to you. In the mundane, everyday moments of life, as week after week continues to unfold, that if you would elevate what is most important to its greatest importance, that you would have a life that would be changed, right? And so I, I just jotted down, just because you're aware of it, just because you know what's valuable, doesn't mean that you live it, and neither do I. The struggle is real. The struggle 
is real. The struggle is real. Lift up your voice and say, the struggle is real. Struggle is real. Every day, we are reminded. Every week, we are reminded, man, the things that I know I should be giving my life to, I don't. The things that I should, should be pursuing and passionately investing in are things that I put on the back burner, that I forget about, that I put off, that I procrastinate with. The things that really, really matter. When those things become our priorities, everything changes. Everything changes. And the great struggle of all of us personally, the great struggle in our marriages, the great struggle in our homes and our families is keeping the main thing the main thing. is keeping of what is maximum importance on our calendar, on our to-do list, on the agenda, the thing that we think about the most. And it's so hard for us to keep what's important important in our lives. It's so, so very hard. So let me do this. I, I want to I give some categories of uh, James is going to lay out four different types of people. He's going to give a snapshot. Really, he's going to lay it out in two, but we can divide those up. And I, I want us to be asking this morning, is part of the struggle to keep what's important important to me because of where I find myself in one of these four categories? And regardless of where you find yourself this morning, you can change. You can change. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can change. You can change. It, it can happen today. You could walk in one way and you can leave another. And here's, here's four categories that the Bible gives us. Just big overview, all right? All right, tracking with me? Four categories of people we see in the Bible. Uh, I think you have this in your, in your outline. The godly poor. The godly poor. Can you think of people in the Bible who were poor but were godly? I, I, I hope so. I just jotted down. Uh, Jesus' family. Hello? God Himself. Godly poor. He had a godly mother and a godly father. They were poor. There's a widow in the Bible who gave a percentage uh, of all that she had. It was a very small amount, but it was maximum in the percentage in the sacrifice, right? Godly, poor. Godliness regardless of wealth, regardless of how you got it, how you invest it, how you tithe it or not tithe it, you got questions that even if you don't have a lot of it, are you using it in a way that is godly what's another category how about godly rich can you think of people in the bible who are godly and very very wealthy well uh, in our student ministry we were wrapping up genesis and the last portion of genesis covers uh, a huge portion of somebody's life he was godly and really wealthy his name was help me out joseph we, we got this guy named joseph that that God gave much to, that, that God prophesied, right? And said, this is your future and it's going to be power and it's going to be wealth. And what happens when most people get power and wealth? Is it good or bad? Help me out, help me out. Uh, it usually doesn't go great, right? But Joseph, we have an example of godly and rich. Godly and rich. Number two in Egypt, vice president, right? And did what was right. How about Daniel? Daniel as a teenager going into Babylon being stripped away from all that was familiar he could have done whatever he wanted to right what would you have done you lost your entire family uh, an army came in took over your land it stripped you of all that you knew all that you had and recreated you attempted to recreate you right and brainwash you what would you have done as a preteen a teenager Daniel chose to acquire power wealth and what and godliness, that was his pursuit. Here, here we have a third category. Ungodly poor. Ungodly poor. 
Can you think of people who are ungodly and poor? Uh, read the whole book of Proverbs. There you go. I mean, the, the vast majority is uh, you don't have and you want, right? You covet, you desire, you long for, you see it, you got to have it. And you continue to struggle because you don't have wisdom, ungodly and poor. People who chase get-rich schemes. People who are involved in business dealings in the Bible and today all have this in common. Poverty, but also no character. And number four, how about this? Ungodly, rich. Do you know of a story where, where maybe there is somebody that uh, is really has an attitude built towards the rich and maybe doesn't have the, the best motives or desire to, to get what they have? We love stories like Robin Hood. You know about Robin Hood? I mean, like, who else in the world deserves to be taken advantage of and to be stripped of what they have, right? I have a right to have some of that, the ungodly rich. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. So we cheer for who? We cheer for Robin Hood and we say, good, good, get them, right? Corruption everywhere in the Bible. Pharaoh, Herod, Nebuchadnezzar, godless, but rich. And maybe... The most legendary example is a guy who comes to Jesus. Do you, remember, do, you, do you remember even the name that we give him? He's the rich, young ruler, power, money. And what's the end of his story? He walked away because he couldn't let it go. Right? He walked away sad. He walked away with great sorrow because he forfeited eternal life. He stiff-armed God in the flesh because he loved his stuff. He couldn't let it go. Sad, sad story. And we have many more. But the question is, where am I and what is my attitude towards others in these other categories? So here we go. Chapter 1. Chapter 1. We're going to start off with verse 9. And here's the bottom line. If you don't get anything else, it doesn't matter if you are rich or poor. It matters if you're godly or ungodly that's what we're wrestling with for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich he was rich yet for your sake he became poor why so that by his poverty might become rich that's second corinthians we're following in jesus footsteps as james leads us he says this let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Literally, it means let the, the brother or the sister, those that are Christians that find themselves uh, literally in a, a humble beginnings or humble situation of uh, earthly possessions. Okay, Those that don't have much. Humble circumstances. Do you, do you love the rags to riches stories? Uh, I remember getting, getting a hold of a book that before I was 21, I never read a whole book, but I got halfway through one book before I was radically saved at 21, and it was Bo Jackson's autobiography, all right? Bo knows Bo. I don't, that dates me, okay? But uh, as we think about a, a powerful uh, athlete playing both football and baseball and one of the greatest monsters of, of athletes of all time, it's like, what was his backstory? He had a, did he have a personal trainer? Did he have rich parents that made sure when he was four years old, he was already signed up for all, all the peewee leagues? 
He was living in abject poverty. He was being beaten and abused. He was in the midst of uh, drug trafficking through his house and a new guy every week that was abusive to him. And, and that half of the time he's sleeping outside or under a car scared that he was going to die. We love the stories of he came from nothing, came from abject poverty. Well, the reason we love those stories is because that's the story of Jesus. That he came from nothing. That he had nothing. That he came into this world with nothing. He left in utter nakedness, humiliation. And what? how do we follow somebody like that? How do we follow Jesus accurately, wholeheartedly, when we live in a world that is marked by what? Uh, Pleasure-seeking, right? Uh, acquiring, hoarding, making sure that you, you get the best, you achieve the greatest. And we live in this world that is constantly bombarding us saying YOLO every day when God is saying eternity is at stake. You don't just live once. You live twice. You live forever somewhere after you die but nobody believes that. Nobody believes that. So he's talking to Christians saying, if you come from humble circumstances, if you were born into a situation outside of your control that you had nothing, and maybe even over years, the number of stories that I've heard and, and people that have been part of ministries, being able to walk with them when they finally had what they wanted and they lost it all. Walking with families that, that they finally got the house and the car and the job and then cancer. And they finally had the kids that they wanted, and then the loss of a child, right? Whether it's death, whether it's sickness, whether it's uh, downsizing and, man, rising up the ranks, and then nothing. We can't even pay our bills now, and at one point we were uh, packing away for early retirement. In a moment, it can all be lost. And here James is saying, if you're, if you're in a situation, whether you started that way, whether you found yourself in a place that you never imagined, he says this, boast. Everybody say boast. That, that's not what you would expect, right? If you find yourself in a, in a situation where you're wondering, why don't I have and where's the next going to come from? He says, boast in his exaltation. What in the world does he mean by that? He's saying, grace has been given to you that even if you have nothing in this world, you are filthy, filthy, filthy rich. That God Himself has loaded your bank account even if you have nothing but uh, overdraft to your name, right? It says you are absolutely filthy rich. Forever is going to outweigh the few moments that you were here with the little that you had or all that you didn't have. Man, this is incredible. You've been invited to worship and be part of the family of the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. All that is His is yours. And He says, stop looking around at what you don't have. Stop envying and coveting. Instead, you've got a lot to boast about. The problem is you don't see what you have. You don't know how rich you are. And if we're not aware of all that is ours in Christ, we are going to live in a way that leads to murmuring and complaining, frustration, comparison. And I love this. I have nothing, but yet I'm rich. I have little, but I'm 
I'm rich. I am rich. I am rich. Everybody say, I'm rich. I'm rich. I am rich. I am filthy rich. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? That God identifies those that are lowly, those that are humble, and He says, I am going to make you rich beyond your wildest dreams. If you pursue wealth my way, if you boast about the right things, the problem is what? Our, our boaster is broken. I don't know about you, but we have a tendency not to boast on uh, the areas of weakness and the areas that we don't have. We, we have a tendency to kind of talk a lot about what we're about to have and, and what's around the corner or the days when we did have and all that we did accomplish. And he says, you're exalting the wrong thing. You're boasting in the wrong thing. If I have nothing but I have Jesus, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich. And he says, not that it's wrong to have things. Everybody say he's not saying that. He's not saying, he's not saying it's wrong to have stuff. It's, it's wrong to acquire wealth. He's, he's not saying that. Because what did we look at? We looked at the four categories. Is there a category of godly rich? Yeah. Is, it, is that a small category? Are there few that fall into that, that particular category? Unfortunately. But is it possible? Yes. Some of the most generous people that I have met have had absolutely nothing. Some of the most generous people I've met have been insanely wealthy and they knew that if they didn't get rid of it, it was going to take them over, right? And so in proper perspective, this way, this kind of mindset, realizing Jesus plus nothing equals everything is what's important, important to you. Does this grace that's been given to you provide you with a powerful peace that circumstances change, but my standing, my Jesus bank account does not change. Nobody can touch it. Nobody can alter it, right? There are endless zeros, and I am not concerned about all that I have in Christ. Does that bring you joy at all? Knowing I possess something that cannot be taken away from me. I have something that nobody can touch. I have zero anxiety over the future about whether somebody can steal it, take it, that I can lose it somehow. All that I have that's been given to me generously by my Father, it's mine and it's mine forever. Nothing can change that. I hope you find incredible peace in the midst of unchanging truth and reality in a changing, ever, 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 ever changing world right? Every single day. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. What's going to happen tomorrow? What do I know? I know what I've been given. If you understand grace, you know, Christian, you are rich. But, but James is not done. James is not done. Everybody say he's not done. Here we go. Here we go. What, he goes on to verse 10. The rich. What, what are the rich supposed to do? Okay, so those that are lowly are supposed to boast in their exaltation in heaven and in and all that is theirs in Christ, what are the rich supposed to do? Well, they're supposed to give it to the poor, like me, right? Is that, no, that's not what verse 10 says, right? The rich are supposed to boast in something else. Don't you think it's interesting that both are supposed to boast? You're, you're supposed to have bragging rights. It's just you're supposed to brag around about the right thing. What are the rich supposed to brag about? Boast in his humiliation. His humiliation? The fact that what? Because, everybody say because. Do you see it there in verse 10? Rich, you've acquired wealth. 
Could I just say as a side note, if you want to put a pin right here, uh, it, it, it's a fact. As of today, globally, if your family, entire family income is more than $37,000 a year, you are in the top 10 percentile of richest people in the world. You are among the 10% richest and I'm not saying individually your personal salary is 37, but 37 as a family. That means like kids, parents, everybody, collectively, your household, 37,000 together, all together, top 10% richest in the world. Okay? For the most part, even though wages may be an issue, if two people are working a little bit more than minimum wage, you are the richest in the world just as a, as a couple. I mean, that's insane. That's insane. So sometimes we misplace ourselves in the, in the categories along the way, right? Godly or ungodly though, what are we supposed to do? Those that have a lot, those that are acquiring a lot, how are you supposed to boast in your humiliation? What does James says? What, what does he say? Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Let's make that really personal. In the world's economy, I am rich. But I need to live a life that I remember in a moment I die. And it leads me to think about what I have very differently every day when I go outside and I look at leaves and I look at blades of grass and I look at flowers, James wants something locked inside of our head as we are living our lives that every day we're reminded, well, that just sprouted up and then the next day, where'd it go? It's gone. What are you, what are you supposed to tell yourself in those moments? That's me. That's me. I'm like that. I'm like that for a moment. A vapor, James says later on. That's what your life is like. And if I remember that, I think about what I have differently. I think about what I do with what I have differently. I boast in my humiliation. So this is the other side of the coin that if you were the richest person on earth and you had everybody's esteem that everybody thought you were awesome and that you had most likes and most hits and everybody coveted your life, when you stand before King Jesus next to the beggar, God's not concerned about what you had or didn't have. He wonders what you did with the Gospel, with the good news. What did you do with God Himself? Did you follow Him or reject Him? So all these things, we're going to give an account for what we have, what we do with it. But we remember, because of grace, it doesn't matter my accomplishments, my possessions, my, my power. It doesn't matter what I've done, what I have. It doesn't matter how hard I've worked. It's all going to be gone in a second. The grace of God, the grace of God opens our eyes to see what do I value is what's important, important to you. And do you know what, what a great blessing and curse children are? The great blessing and curse of having maybe kids, grandkids, is that they are constantly identifying things 
in your life and pointing things out. And if you say, hey, we don't value those things. Those things aren't important to us. We are pursuing something greater and more important. And then at every turn, well, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, I thought you said that what's, what's most important is, is Jesus. What's most important is what will last forever. And so why are we living for this? And how much did you spend on that? I went out and I bought a lawn chair little rocker suspension deal, right? Like it's got pistons, okay? It's pretty legit, all right? And so I have a certain child that's like, dad, how much did you pay for that? Was it worth it? Was that a wise use of your money? Was that a good investment? Really? Really? Well, you said that like where we spend our money and, and what we live for and what's really important. Is that really what's important? Is your child's birthday that's coming up less important than you needing to have this, this chair? Oh, little manipulator. So as we're reminded in the subtle, funny ways, as we're reminded in the really big ways of when's the last time you lost something, that something broke, fell apart, went missing, and you almost lost your mind. Or you wept over the loss of something that had great value to you. And to be able to step back and go, why am I so angry or why am I so upset about the thing that shouldn't matter all that much? Why does it have such a hold on my heart? Do you believe that there are some things that uh, can be super valuable to us and that it's okay if God says you can, you can cry over that? Um, my brother right now is going through the loss of their, their dog after 17 years, I think, and like the grandkids and all of that. And they're like, they're having a full week of lament, you know what I mean, over their dog. And I'm going, you know what? There are sentimental things that I think God attaches to our heart. And it's like, I need to grieve losses of things. But when it's stuff that I poured an absurd amount of money into that I never should have, and it breaks and it doesn't work, isn't it God's grace to frustrate the snot out of you? To say, see, it doesn't work. See where you put your money and your investment? You thought that was going to make you happy? Ha! <laughs> Watch this. God, thank you for the reminder that the stuff that I value might not be the stuff that, that you value. Rich. Humiliation. To humble ourselves and realize this is not forever. This is not what I should be spending my time, my energy on. And here we go. Verse 11. Are you there? He continues on. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also, God, thank you for this reminder. So also will the rich man fade away. The rich man fades away in the midst of his pursuits. One of the most sobering things that we can remember is I'm probably going to die in the middle of plans for something I'm convinced that's going to happen in the future. In the midst of your pursuit. We are going to leave behind hobbies. We're going to leave behind all kinds of plans of someday I'm going to build that, fix that, work on that. Someday I'm going to go there. All of us are going to die in the midst of pursuing what's next, what's next, what's next. And I was just just brought to my mind as I read through this this past week. If you're taking notes, if you just want to jot down, creation screams what to boast about. Creation screams what to boast about. Because in the midst of 
your pursuits, in the midst of what's really, really important to you, one of those times is going to be the last. And it's going to be left undone. And it's going to be left behind. I don't know about you, but I don't want to enter into the presence of Jesus. And the very last thing that I was doing was a worthless pursuit. I mean, in one moment, I'm thinking to myself, I can't wait until, and this is going to be awesome, and, and, and I, I, I've been waiting so long for this, and, and it's finally here, and I'm dead. And I stand before Jesus, and it's like, what, what was I just doing? The last thing that you were doing isn't the most important thing, but I wonder if it's going to at least be fresh on your mind. That's how I went out? That's how I left this earth? That, that's my legacy. That was, the, that was the final stretch of my life. I was doing what? I was living for what? And I was reminded constantly of, of the fading and the, the planting and the growing. I, I don't know if you grew up with a, a green thumb mama or, or dad. We grew up on a farm and my mom had flowers everywhere. So every day of my life, I was reminded of Someone that loved to get in the dirt and pour time and energy and money and organizing and envisioning massive gardens. And then we lived in Wisconsin. This is ludicrous, right? You got two months of like summer, all right, of warm weather. And that's it. And then you're done. And I'm thinking to myself, you spent like nine or ten months just investing in all of this, and I get to watch this beautiful thing like bloom and then die. And at a young age, I'm thinking to myself, is the investment worth it, okay? But instead, my mind should have been, look at this picture. This is your life, right? Just about the time that like finally I'm, I'm living the life that I've wanted. I'm finally achieving the things I want to achieve. I'm finally there. It's over. Everywhere we look, we should be reminded from creation, what should you boast about? What should you boast about? And for sure, it shouldn't be our, our bodies, our, our beauty. We have children that are a little nosy and sometimes they get into old pictures. Just not, I'm not going to point any fingers, but and as they look at pictures, it's kind of cool when they're real young and the people in the wedding photos kind of resemble the people that are their parents. But a time comes when they start pulling out photos and with all seriousness, who, who, are, who are those people? <sighs> that's, that's your mom and dad. That's us. And then they do what? Like, what happened to you? And I said, a glorious thing happened to me. I'm reminded that I'm not to live, right, for youth and vitality and, and beauty. It's fading much quicker than I ever anticipated. And the humility that comes sometimes from the best places, right? Who are those beautiful, skinny people, they ask? Yeah, I don't know what happened to them. I don't know who they are. They're no longer allowed to look at old, old pictures anymore. So I don't know if you have any rules in your house. But as we 
as we land the plane. Everybody say, land the plane. Here we go. Here we go. As our worship team comes up, I, I want us to be thinking about going into a week differently. I don't know how you went into last week. I don't know how you came out of this past week and, and entered in today. But do you know what, you know what God wants for us? Is that we, we don't do the Sunday thing. We don't do the once a week or once a month. Or I don't know if for some of us, we're, we're CEO Christians, Christmas, Easter, other, maybe one other. So don't be CEO. Don't be, don't be Sunday. You know what God loves? God loves it when His children say, every day, God, I choose You. Every day, I'm, I'm living for You. You're the boss of my life. You're my everything. I know my life is fading away. I know I don't have much time left, even though it feels like I'll always have a little bit more. And I wonder if, if today that God would be asking you, is what's important important to you? Are you pursuing the things that really, really matter? And I wish that any of us could even get two days in a row to say, yeah, I did it. But it's hard. This is hard. Lift up your voice and say it's hard. It's hard. It's so hard to keep at the forefront of our minds. This is what matters. This is what matters. And so in your outline, you should have at the bottom, every week we're just, we, we want to land the plane with this. If, as I go into this week and I want my faith to work itself out, I want to live authentically for us to commit to these things. Do you see that there at the bottom? It says, it doesn't matter if I'm rich or poor. It matters if I'm godly or ungodly. I will not get my identity from the culture around me. What's important to my culture should not be what's important to me. And I will make what's important to God important to me.